This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What is operational technology, OT, and how does it differ from information technology? How is U.S. Air Force pursuing a control system cyber resiliency program? And what can be done to elevate the importance of OT cybersecurity? I'll explore these questions and so much more with my very special guest, Daryl Hegley, Technical Director of Control System Cyber Resiliency at the U.S. Department of the Air Force. Daryl, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Super to be here. So, Daryl, can you tell us more about the portfolio you lead and how does it support the overall mission of the U.S. Department of the Air Force? So in 2022, the Department of the Air Force created an unprecedented senior executive position focused on the systems in which 100% of operations depend, the technical director of control system cyber resiliency. So it serves as a senior department of the Air Force expert and director of critical infrastructure, control systems, cybersecurity, and cyber resilience, providing technical oversight for worldwide operations for air and Space Force objectives, and depending upon installation or operation site infrastructure. I also get to act as the Deputy Chief of Staff for the Air Force and Space Force S-4 higher headquarters and secretariat meetings providing direction and recommended actions on execution of plans, policies, programs related to the entire spectrum of control system activities in the Air Force. So you kind of dovetailed with that, but I was wondering, can you tell us more about the role as a technical director? What is a technical director in the the context of of the portfolio you're under your charge? And who who do you report to in the department? Well, my position physically resides in the Air Staff A4 Logistics Engineering and Force Protection, then within the Director of Civil Engineers A4C. But my role is broader than these, and I have a great partnership with the Chief Information Security Officer on the Secretariat side. Since the CISO oversees cyber policy and execution across the department, I've integrated control systems into that portfolio, which typically has yet to include them. A key task I have is to oversee the progress on the Department of the Air Force strategic plan for the control systems and its associated implementation plan. And it was published in 2021, signed by the Air Force CIO, and it's developed across all the functional communities to be a 10-plus-year roadmap with four lines of effort to address pervasive capability gaps in how we organize, train, and equip our forces for the cyberspace fight demanded by the National Defense Strategy. So line of effort one, develop organizational constructs and cross-functional complementary workforce. The people who do the IT stuff are not going to do the OT stuff, and the civil engineers are not trained in cyber either. So there's an opportunity there. Line of effort two, identification of critical control systems and the DAF-wide portfolio visibility. 
So, you know, there are a number of different systems from those that support logistics to depots, to medical systems, to nuclear facilities, making sure that we know which systems support which missions and then understanding the information from those and how do we get them to the right cyber professionals. Line of effort three, ensuring cyber resilient control systems across their life cycle. Uh, I'll explain a little bit later how they are not secure by design and how we need to make sure our contract language includes cyber into these systems and that we have a good way of identifying, detect, protect, respond, and recover through that whole process. And the line of effort four, establishing an agile cyberspace defense and recovery through real-time continuous monitoring, incident detection, coordinated response, and readiness. So essentially that whole process and how we get it from a system owner when they detect something out to a cyber defender to respond and getting it up to the highest level of coordination. So our desired end state, control systems, operational technology are cyber resilient and defended to assure our missions. The scope for these owned, operated, and acquired systems by the department and associated components, devices, and networks, and applications and data. So the whole aspect from what's in the system, where this data resides, and, and how to protect it. So, for example, water and power distribution, intrusion detection systems, fire suppression systems, airfield lighting, material handling, industrial, and even nuclear. So there are over 100 tasks that we're tracking over the next several years. And as we make progress, we will be best positioned to identify, protect, respond, and recover from adversary exploitation. Yeah, given given all that, wow. Um, I'm thinking about your responsibilities, Daryl. I was wondering if you could outline for us the most pressing management and, say, operational challenges that you face in your current position. And, and maybe you can glean a little insight into what you've done to address those challenges. Well, I'd like to provide some history on how I got here. So 10 years ago, DOD had no security focus at all in this space. The department had purchased tens of thousands of smart meters, and the energy managers wanted to connect them to the building OT networks. The IT and cyber experts said, no way, and they had because they had no built-in security. And that issue made its way to the headquarters level, where I sat, and we learned that there were no OT-focused policies, procedures, or resources. And since then, we've made much progress in changing all of those, and the taxpayers rest assured those unused meters were stored securely in the warehouse next to the Ark of the Covenant. In 2016, we created cybersecurity-related unified facilities criteria for when we build new buildings and structures to be applied to DOD's 500 installations, 4,000 sites, 250,000 buildings, and 400,000 structures as almost all have OT that provides continuous communication. And for years, critical infrastructure was considered only outside the base. And in DOD, we struggled to determine who would cybersecure the on-base OT. That is changing. And everyone should realize that 100% of DOD's OT is the same as the OT that industry uses outside the base. Mm -hmm. Congress wanted to know that we had assessed our on-base defense critical infrastructure, in which all our missions depend, via 2017 National Defense Authorization Act. So we assessed our bases from a cyber lens and have a list of many vulnerabilities we are mitigating. And all of us know adversaries target these easy, non-secure targets. I recall a classified brief in where several DOD executives were detailed on how nation states are exploiting OT. And at the end, I asked the briefer, what are the chances of detecting an adversary presence on our OT networks? If we have zero tools 
and no skilled experts to discover their presence. And of course, the briefer looked at me like I was a donkey with a high IQ and said, uh, zero. And my question was not that I didn't know the answer, but I wanted the execs to hear that from the threat expert, because I would hear from the execs routinely, Daryl, our OT always worked, so we don't see a problem. Our stuff must not be that critical since we have yet to have a cyber incident. Or none of these are really critical because we can go into manual mode. And affirming that briefing, the Director of National Intelligence published an unclassified report in, 20, in 21, 22, and 23 that all reiterate China, Russia, and Iran, and North Korea are actively targeting our critical infrastructure. In 2022, Congress in NDA 1505 asked the department to let them know that we have mapped our OT networks to our most critical assets and that we are funding the cyber hardening of them in future years. As everyone knows, you can't ask for resources if there's no requirement, and that helped us get there. But we recently developed a control system cyber defense reference architecture called Mosaics, or More Situational Awareness and Control Systems, a framework that enables industry to provide capabilities aligned to any one or all of identified detect, protect, respond, and recover functions. Uh, in May 2021, the president signed an executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity, specifying that cyber protections will be applied to IT and OT. That's the first time that was ever focused at this presidential level. Subsequent to the presidential memo in January 2022, the National Security Manager Memorandum on Improving Cybersecurity of National Security, DOD and Intelligence Community Systems, for the first time, not only just intelligence systems, can now be classified as a national security system. So that would now get the attention and support. So all of this helps to inform leadership that these systems are critical and need resources. Yeah, I think of what the, the amount of, uh, wow, uh, and it's burgeoning. It's a, it's a new area, and you've underscored the the risks that are associated with it. But Daryl, in, you, in your capacity as technical advisor, what has surprised you most since taking over this role or being in this role? Well, there's been a lot. Uh, mission owners and system owners alike have yet to really understand the dependencies of these systems to execute their missions. Time and time again, we perform assessments and uh, see documents are missing or publicly available online. Uh, stakeholders were not appreciated dependency on power, water, air conditioning, fuel, let alone the fact that a vendor has a direct, non-secure access to these systems. And while those systems are getting regular performance updates, they're not getting security updates. And many don't have security built in. During a cyber-focused tabletop exercises and planning meetings, control systems fail to regularly be included. At one recent event, a general officer asked why the red team was able to take out the power system so quickly. Was that because the scenario did not account for the defense of that system? I mean, everyone in the room literally laughed because they all knew the power system had no cyber controls. One of the most memorable stories I can recall was an event that occurred in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce building over 10 years ago. A World Job Fair was, event was being hosted there in a recently upgraded conference room. After everyone departed on Friday, the building engineer noted that the conference room thermostat was not operating properly and... Someone noticed Chinese characters being printed on the printer in the adjoining room. Turns out, the room's thermostat was converted to a microphone, and the data was sent back to China. How cool was that? 
But I'm surprised more folks have not taken action on their control systems simply after hearing that story. But, you know, for example, Michael, have you visited the uh, folks running the building automation system in this building? Uh, they are friendly, as I've found uh, every group I've met. And when you go down there and you just ask them, you know, tell me a little bit about these systems and, you know, do they need cybersecurity? And you'll typically get three answers. One will be, what's cybersecurity? Uh, you know, somebody else uh, may be doing that. Or, hey, this is, this is what I've done. Here's the training I've taken. You know, we have this tool in place and we report this way. So I've seen all kinds. And that's what I recommend all your listeners do. Mm-hmm. Go to the building automation center in the buildings in which you work and talk to those folks. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, you know, given the your portfolio and how how unique it is, but how important a, a, a mission it is, I was wondering, Daryl, if you could tell us a little bit more about your career path and what got you to this role. Well, first, let me convey that my path is no path to follow. I had no training, no in cyber, and but did minor in engineering in college. Spent twenty years in the Navy. Uh, it had nothing to do with cyber. Uh, and then transferred to civilian service and worked at an OSD energy office. That's where I was tasked to go fix the lack of security with the thousands of non-secure smart meters. I discovered there were no others focused on this topic and found myself representing DOD in government and industry forums. I decided I needed to appreciate the technical side to the challenge and obtained the Global Industrial Cybersecurity Professional Certification via SANS, or GICSP, because it bridges together the IT, engineering, and cybersecurity to achieve security for control systems from design through retirement. It took tons of self-taught study, and it was worth it. It turns out I'm the only one across all the DoD headquarters with that certification. When no one else understands, or perhaps more importantly, wants to do what you do, you can get a lot accomplished and be recognized as one of DOD's foremost subject matter experts and a trailblazer. I would recommend your listeners pursue a path in either engineering or cyber and then learn the aspects of the other. There are many training options now, and companies are recognizing the need to understand the dependencies of their infrastructure and need to ensure they are resilient from a cyber perspective. I'm hopeful more government positions will require this expertise, especially in their CIO and chief information security offices, as it is ultimately where cyber will be most successful. Mm. You know, Daryl, I'm taken by the fact that you are really an, an evangelist on this uh, across the department. And I was wondering, given your background, um, perhaps you can share with us the characteristics of an effective leader and what leadership principles are guiding you through your effort. Well, it's taken me a while to kind of collect these, and I keep a running list of what I think is important and I should be following and I recognize, you know, leadership is learned and requires clear goals and a plan to achieve them. Because uh, my leadership mindset is built around individual strengths, but always focused on others. Mm-hmm. It's really about the team. It's about the people all the time. Because although, you know, I've had success doing a number of these things, all of it has been based on partnerships and other folks uh, helping out. 
and I've never stopped learning. I always uh, try and learn as much as possible from different forums, uh, you know, different uh, things online and taking class, uh, uh, classes and also uh, talking to at different events and also I've been asked to speak with some at some colleges and that is just great to get insight of what some of the younger folks are, are thinking. The other key part is feedback. Uh, it's critical, comes from many sources, executives above, peers, and staff. I always ask what uh, is, I'm doing well and what I can do better. Uh, I've consistently strived to create a forum so that feedback can provide in a constructive way. Uh, listen, commit to necessary change, uh, because the feedback reminds me that what I think is not what others may be thinking. And so lastly, I found it critically important to communicate effectively by simplifying the message. Tell relevant stories to make it obvious why it is important, what is needed by whom, and when. One exercise I found very useful is to first take what I want to convey in 50 words, then cut to 25, then six, then one. When you get down to one word, you have the essence of what must be conveyed and your message can be acted on. What is the U.S. Department of the Air Force's strategic vision for control systems cyber resiliency across the department? I'll explore this question and so much more when a conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Whitner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Daryl Hegley, Technical Director, Control Systems Cyber Resiliency at the U.S. Department of the Air Force. Daryl, um, you mentioned uh, OT uh, in the previous segment, and I was hoping we'd take a little time to understand some of the concepts. And what is operational technology OT, and how does it differ from information technology? We probably should have started by having your listeners have a little bingo card with all the different terms that apply here. Uh, there just are many, and I've come to use operational technology or control systems. A new one is uh, that's been also promoted by the National Institute of Science and Technology is cyber physical systems, and they seem to be interchangeable. Um, so operational technology is defined as control systems or controllers, communication architectures, and user interfaces that monitor or control infrastructure and equipment operating in various environments, such as weapon systems, utility or energy production, distribution, medical, 
logistics, nuclear, biological, chemical, or manufacturing. So, you know, a pump, a motor, um, a thermostat, you know, all different devices that take an input and then make something else happen. Control systems, as defined as a system in which deliberate guidance or manipulation is used to achieve a prescribed value for a variable. So control systems include the Supervised Control and Data Acquisition, or SCADA, which are the very large power plants. Uh, we've also got uh, distributed control systems and program logic controllers. Again, these things are all on the walls, the ceilings that take a sensor and then send a signal to make something happen. Cyber-physical systems, interacting digital, analog, physical, and human components engineered for function through integrated Physics and logic. I don't know. So it seems like a whole, you know, a, a fancy way of saying what the first two said, but it, it it's, does not only just apply to digital and things that, uh, you know, are up to date. So it can happen at the analog level. I think one of the most important characteristics is to understand uh, the confidentiality, integrity, and availability, or CIA triad, which is a common model that forms the basis of the development of security systems used for finding vulnerabilities and methods for creating solutions in this space. Confidentiality has to do with keeping an organization's data private. This often means that only authorized users and processes should be able to access or modify the data. Integrity means that the data can be trusted. It should be maintained in a correct state, kept so that it cannot be tampered with and should be correct, authentic, and reliable. But just as important, that unauthorized users are kept out from an organization data. Data should be available to authorized users whenever they require it. This means keeping systems, networks, and devices up and running. So for OT, availability is most important. What's clearly different is information technology or IT. So it is the use of computers to create, process, store, and retrieve, and exchange all kinds of data information. Uh, so your laptop, printer, phone, etc. So within that CIA model, for IT, confidentiality or integrity is most important. So that's really where the differential is. Your critical infrastructure, which you eloquently put, is increasingly relying on the convergence of IT, which everybody's really familiar with, and maybe not so much OT, to operate. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the convergence of these two environments. Sure. Uh, so the ITOT convergence uh, refers to the connection of the formerly isolated uh, OT systems like electrical substations, water treatment plants, and manufacturing facilities, you know, which we had people essentially at each of these places checking things regularly. But we are connecting to the Internet because we've got one person now in charge of 100 buildings or a different, you know, that because it's much more cost effective, Right. Common IT devices and systems such as routers, servers, switches, and cloud computing applications are also now combined with some of these OT applications, and that could make those OT uh, systems susceptible to the same risks of malware and threats that IT systems face today. So if you had a campus of buildings, they, all that information could go through uh, an IT system in an IT cloud. But IT systems and OT systems are very different in many ways. First, the OT systems have different performance requirements than IT systems, which creates a challenge when applying IT security to OT systems. Second, IT systems are designed for general use, and these systems support a wide variety of technologies, applications, and users, where conversely, 
OT systems serve a very specific purpose, and these systems therefore focus on a specific requirements and perform a specific function. Finally, the expected life cycle of an OT system is typically a decade or longer, which makes uh, a much longer life cycle than that of an IT system. You know, we've replaced our laptops every couple of years, our phones even more frequently, but what about the HVAC, right, or the water heater or those sort of things? So this creates different priorities between IT security professionals and the OT system operators within organizations. While IT security practice can inform OT security requirements, the OT systems require more specialized solutions which address the performance and requirements of these systems. So, you know, as the IT and OT convergence accelerates, I'd like to switch gears to the number, the increasing number of cyber attacks, Daryl, that we see. And they will continue to traverse the boundaries of IT and OT for a few reasons. I was hoping you could elaborate on some of those reasons. Well, many organizations claim to have employed an architecture for OT systems that include an air gap, where OT and IT systems are completely isolated from each other. Uh, they, you know, the, like for example, the HVAC system may run on its own uh, network that doesn't leave the building. Mm. However, somebody comes with a laptop to provide a hardware, firmware, software update, and now you've got introduced, you know, that uh, potential avenue of uh, an exploit. So unless there are strict internal controls and organizational discipline to enforce them, there'll be natural human instinct to work around inefficiencies. Secondly, uh, many systems can even accidentally converge where a system owner does not even realize they have visibility into devices uh, when they reside on their networks. One example was, uh, you know, it was an intelligence building that was being built. And as they're walking through, somebody noticed a Wi-Fi network. And like, how? Why would this be? This is completely not supposed to happen in our intelligence buildings. And the contractor said, "Well, the uh, building automation system has a Wi-Fi that comes automatically with it, and so we didn't have anything in the contract that said turn it off." So you know that gets down to you. You have to kind of know where you know these boundaries are, and and what those capabilities are, and make sure that it's clearly written what is permitted and what is not. You know, I'd like to shift the focus because that was a very helpful um, sort of tutorial on OT and how it interacts with IT. I was hoping you could talk about some of the major threats and common vulnerabilities, exposures to the Air Force's critical infrastructure and control systems. Right. Well, like I mentioned earlier, adversaries like China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea continue to target our base critical infrastructure in new and sophisticated ways. By exploiting vulnerabilities in our operational technology control systems, many still using Windows XP and seven base systems or other outdating operating systems, they can compromise our missions. Aircraft sortie generation could be disrupted by shutting down airfield lighting and communication systems. Infiltration of the water systems used to cool our data servers and rocket launchers may delay or degrade satellite deployment. On average, uh, because the Internet says so, Cyber attacks occur about every 39 seconds, and about 560,000 malware incidents are detected every day. But if we don't have the sensors in place to detect them, if we don't have the incident response plans to limit their impact, if we don't have the people with the skills to recognize the anomalous systems and device behavior on how to respond and recover 
our missions are going to fail. We recently had an audit to determine where Air Force personnel implemented control system cyber hygiene practices in accordance with the guidance at 14 locations. It was revealed that personnel did not implement the hygiene best practices in accordance with that guidance. Specifically, they did not maintain physical and logical access to control system components. People were able to freely walk into buildings that were supposed to be locked. Uh, They did not properly secure master versions of of control system resources. Passwords were left out uh, in in clear view. They did not utilize the most uh, current version of vulnerability scanning tools, prepare and test required responses, recovery, and contingent plans, or perform necessary operating updates to mitigate vulnerabilities, and let alone have the right system documentation. We've made a lot of progress in fixing all of those. However, that will take some time. So now that we've got through that, and it was very helpful, I was wondering if you could share with us, Daryl, your strategic vision for control system cyber resiliency across the department, um, and what are some of your key priorities that you're focused on? Well, to mitigate these ever-present threats, uh, you've got to have policy put in place to make sure that people know what to do. And if there's policy, you can ask for money. So we've hosted regular service and agency collaboration meetings. You know, it's just critically important that we all are aligned as best as possible. Uh, we've hosted government industry events, industry events to learn the latest capabilities in this area. We've spent the last five years connecting the energy management control systems on all 140 bases to a secure network. And while that's important, it only represents a fraction of all the control systems in the department. Perhaps most important is to get this message clear to the airmen and guardians in the field as each of them play a vital role in ensuring that our department is resilient in cyber-contested environments. Utilizing the right tools and techniques to prevent our adversaries from impacting our operators starts with three actions. Updating emergency response checklists and recovery plans to include cybersecurity considerations. Conducting regular rehearsals of your roles to recover and ensure the mission. Knowing who to contact for assistance can be the difference between success and failure to countering a cyber attack. And then contact my office or their squadron's security manager to learn about best practices and understanding their role in cybersecurity and requesting resource advocacy. We see a lot time and time again folks are just not even asking for what uh, they need. We've estimated it will take about $2 billion to make substantial changes and progress in mitigating our top vulnerabilities and implementing the Control System Strategy Implementation Plan. What are the key challenges of securing operational technology systems against threats that emerge from IT network connections? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. 
Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Daryl Hagel, Technical Director, Control Systems Cyber Resiliency at the U.S. Department of the Air Force. My next question kind of picks up on uh, an item you mentioned earlier. So I was wondering, while IT security practices can inform OT security requirements, the OT systems, as you pointed out earlier, Daryl, require more specialized solutions which address the performance requirements of a system that may have a longer lifespan. Why is it so difficult to maintain the security of these OT environments over time via, you know, patching like IT does? And why in in some cases is the timeline to resolve these issues so much more different? Yeah, so I, I would characterize that in kind of two different ways. Uh, so first, just legacy systems. Many of these OT environments resigned, developed, and deployed before widespread of adoptions of modern cybersecurity practices. And these environments often have outdated hardware, software, and protocols that were not designed with security in mind. Some of them, you know, you can't change the password, and that password is available online. You know, upgrading these systems is complex and costly. Uh, I think an interesting example is the Pentagon is upgrading its air handling system. So all, you know, and throughout this, all the ceilings, you have, you know, ducts where air goes out and air comes in, and there are little controllers in there that monitor both of those. And, and also the thermostat in which tells you the temperature and humidity. So it was determined that, well, the, the vendor said we can no longer uh, keep this system updated. We no longer have it in our inventory. So you're going to have to upgrade. It's going to cost, well, and they started about two years ago. It's going to take eight years and cost $180 million to do because they have to go into every one of these those offices when people aren't working in there. And the year in which that system was first was installed, 2001. I bet you were probably thinking I was going to say 70s or 80s. Exactly but, nice. but so at 20 years, so the vendors are no longer – maintaining these systems. And, you know, unfortunately, even if it was installed in 2001, that means it took a while to get there. It was designed in the 90s and all that kind of stuff. Number two, just the lack of security awareness. In many cases, uh, OT operators and engineers have a deep understanding of the operational aspects of the systems, but have limited knowledge of the cybersecurity or how they directly might support the mission. And these gaps lead to misunderstanding of potential vulnerabilities in cybersecurity practices. So addressing these challenges requires a multifaceted approach involving technical solutions, policy development, security training, collaboration between the IT and the OT people, uh, and a regular framework at uh, improving OT security standards. You know, I was wondering, um, you kind of alluded to this earlier, Daryl, in our conversation, but I was hoping you could delve a little deeper, and that is, what are some of the key challenges 
uh, of securing OT systems against threats that emerge from the IT network connections? And what can be done to identify emerging approaches that can increase OT resiliency in the face of these threats? Right. So there's you know several uh, ways to go after that. So first is you know interconnectivity. So with the integration of IT components on these OT systems, and it introduces that wider attack surface as vulnerabilities in the IT environment can be exploited to target these systems. We found where you can go in through an OT system back into the IT system and vice versa. So, and and the other thing we found is uh, people who are on a list to access OT systems also have access to IT or the other way. So just getting to your access list would be something to take care of. Operational impact. OT systems are designed to ensure uninterrupted operation of critical infrastructure. Applying security measures, such as patches and updates, can introduce downtime or affect the performance and reliability of these systems. You know, and we've often asked, hey, well, Commander, what we want to do is we want to see if we can hack into this system. Well, nobody wants their system to go down, uh, so that has yet to really uh, happen. Mm -hmm. But to identify emergency approaches that can increase OT resiliency, uh, several strategies are being adopted. We're doing risk assessments, conducting thorough review to identify vulnerabilities and attack vectors. Uh, threat intelligence and information sharing. Engage in the distribution and leverage sources specific to OT environments. And this can help with identifying emergency attack techniques and vulnerabilities, uh, enabling proactive measures to enhance OT resiliency. Uh, the intelligence community has been so focused on the IT side, they're just now getting uh, aware of the OT side. Sensing, you know, we've got to have a real-time visibility, monitoring detection capabilities across systems. And, you know, that's the next uh, kind of playing field in which we're focused on. Mm -hmm. So my next two questions have to deal with sort of like a real-world example. And the first one I wanted to talk about was the provision of power. If you're on a, um, a facility, it's critical for command, command right. and control. What are some of the possible OT threats for this type of infrastructure? And what can be done to mitigate the impact of these threats? Well, you know, continuous availability of power is indeed critical for infrastructure. And there are several threats that can pose risk to the stability and availability of power infrastructure, not just cyber, right? So common, so common threats and mitigation measures. So we have natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, and wildfires can damage power generation, transmission, and distribution infrastructure. So mitigation measures, measures include design and construction infrastructure to withstand anticipated natural hazards, establishing redundant systems, implement early warning systems, and having a disaster recovery plan in place. Uh, we've implemented what we call black start or uh, energy readiness resilience exercises to where we tell a base we're going to turn off the power at Saturday at 10 o'clock. And we do, and they have prepared and making sure all their generators are going to come on. Uh, that is a very worthwhile learning experience uh, for everybody because you can put a lot of plans in place, but uh, if you've not rehearsed it, that may not go according to plan. And then uh, cyber attacks. Power infrastructure is increasingly connected and relying on control systems, making it vulnerable to cyber attacks. 
these can range from disruptive actions that cause power outages to data breaches and manipulation of the operational systems. Mitigation measures include implementing robust cybersecurity measures, you know, those, some of those hygiene measures that we talked about, conducting regular risk assessments, adopting network segmentation, implementing access controls, you know, limiting who can access these systems, and training the personnel and security best practices. Those are all good first steps. So, Daryl, in the context of control systems and operational technology, what is meant by shadow IT? So that refers to the use of IT resources or systems within an organization's OT environment that are not officially approved or managed by the IT or OT department's teams. So it typically arises when individuals or departments deploy solutions, software applications, or devices without proper oversight, authorization, or adherence to organizational policies. Uh, These unsanctioned resources may impact data collection, analysis, and remote connection. However, you can also appreciate some of the innovative and creative ways in which people have, when they are told, I need this to work, I need this to communicate, people, you know, will put things in place to make that happen. Uh, So a lot of times operations comes before security. Uh, We got to make sure that those are intertwined. Right. So to mitigate the strong awareness and education is required to train personnel about the risk and potential consequences. And we've got to have uh, what we're establishing is a governance process to really uh, when we do these assessments and we find these to understand who is responsible and hold people accountable. So to what extent, Daryl, has cyber risk management become a critical element of civil engineers and efforts to ensure that infrastructure is secure. Yeah. So the recent, uh, you know, the commander of uh, the civil engineers uh, can be quoted as saying, installations are power projection platforms. They're like weapon systems. So, you know, the foundation for which the department launches critical missions and ensures readiness to execute combat operations in air, space, and cyberspace. Because we know we cannot fly, fight, and win without effective, sustainable, resilient cybersecurity infrastructure. Civil engineers ensure this infrastructure supports all missions in any environment 24-7. To that end, the control systems or OT, cyber resilience, is a critical issue for the engineers. There are very various technical solutions. There's a community of interest network or COIN, which logically segments the network traffic and an Installation Resilience Operation Command and Control Framework, or IROC, which security connects and integrates data from multiple sensors and facility control systems on an installation and enhances situational awareness for base defenders and optimizes facility maintenance operations. So they will need to identify when a system is not operating properly and inform a cyber expert. We are not asking them to be cyber experts, but to know how to recognize what to do and who to call when a cyber incident occurs. I was wondering, what are some of the key operational technology risks that can impact supply chain resiliency? Yeah, so supply chain resiliency can be impacted by various operational risks uh, that can disrupt the flow of goods, services, or information within the supply chain. Uh, some key risks are, you know, the disruptions, demand volatility, inventory management, quality control, product issues, technology system failures. 
we've asked vendors to give us their, you know, bill of materials or um, essentially all the things that are part of their systems and software. And, you know, some of them are excited about sharing that and some are not because, you know, a lot of that is their their special sauce. Across a, a, a installation, there are many different types of systems that have not been fully vetted through supply chain risk. Uh, so we're just beginning to start collecting that data and determine, you know, where the sources of, uh, are, you know, our systems are, you know, are the products of those systems. Uh, you know, it's it's policy to not uh, buy anything, you know, that's made in China. And so we, we're working on different ways to figure out, you know, where those uh, sources are. How can other organizations begin or further develop their critical infrastructure cybersecurity programs? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. This is the Center This Week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness, brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I'm Michael Keegan, Leadership Fellow at the Center and host of its weekly interview program, the Business of Government Hour. The Center This Week is our opportunity to inform and most importantly, to invite you, our listeners, to use the Center as a how-to resource for improving government effectiveness at the state, local, and federal levels. Over the last couple of years, I've interviewed many federal chief information officers from a variety of agencies. It is from this rich library that I've culled together their insights on federal IT and their efforts to transform how their agencies do business. Guy Cavallo, CIO at the Office of Management and Budget, tells us about his cybersecurity efforts, especially his pursuit of zero trust. You know, zero trust, I think absolutely with today's cyber attacks is the way we have to go to protect our, our data. The the old build a moat around your network and you'll block everybody there, but once they're inside, they can go anywhere. The hackers have proven that that is their favorite model, that they can get in and go anywhere. So uh, I'm excited about that. Like I said, we're, we're well on our way on the journey. It is gonna take uh, a couple years to do it fully and we're able to do it in stages so that we can do that. One, one thing, going back to user experience, what we did at SBA is we replaced the VPN with the zero trust connection. And that meant that the end user went from having to click on about eight things to get started every day. We went down to two things, put in your PIV card, type your PIN, and you're done. So the users love that. Uh, from a cyber perspective, the CISO and I love it because with a VPN, you had the option of a user could turn it off and still use their laptop. With Zero Trust, we don't allow them to turn it on. If they're going to log on to their laptop, it's always going to be connected through Zero Trust. So we're able to do patching, we're able to collect performance data, all the things where if they're not logging in with the VPN, we, were, we weren't able to do. So that's the easy part of Zero Trust. Mm -hmm taking Joe and Sally and, and then deciding Joe's going to get this access to these three systems at this level and nothing else, and Sally can have access to these five systems at this level. That's a lot of legwork, and that's going to take us longer, but I'm excited about that. Jamie Holcomb, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, USPTO, offers his insights on cybersecurity, its importance, especially in pursuing zero trust. 
Number one, cybersecurity. It does start with the basics. It's just like when you walk out of your home, do you lock your doors? Do you make sure the home is secure? We have to start with the basics before you can get into all the high-speed cyber, have multi-factor authentication in order to get into your systems. Don't allow passwords to be shared. Don't give people access. So you start on the inside, and of course, you have to be protected from the outside. And so we're moving to the modernization, bringing it to the internet age. When we do our modernization, we have the ability to actually design in security at the beginning. And there's a lot of work being done right now on zero trust. Zero trust, and just like security, it's not a tool. It's not a thing. It is a philosophy. It is a way of thinking. The old client-server way and defense in depth is not a bad way. And in fact, is a very good way to do work. There are a couple of weaknesses of defending in depth. We need to have a design theory of zero trust where we don't allow these people where they don't need to be. The zero trust environment is a design thinking. And that's the number one cybersecurity thing we're trying to get into is a different way to think. We're worried about simple neglect of leaving your doors open on your car with your keys right on the dash. That's what we're trying to prevent with insider threat. People might not even know that they're insecure or that they have things open. We have to educate our internal employees. Yes, we have to trust them, but we also have to look at their patterns and what they're, how they're behaving. Should we look at that behavioral analysis and say, wait a second, let's challenge that session to make sure that that's him. Those are the types of design scenarios we really need to think about in the future of modernizing our IT infrastructure for security. For the IBM Center, for the business of government. I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been The Center This Week. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report, Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Daryl Hegley, Technical Director, Control Systems Cyber Resiliency at the U.S. Department of the Air Force. So, you know, Daryl, you may agree, I'm not too sure, but the you notice that the cyber industry is still largely focused on business IT systems, often neglecting what we've talked about, the critical risks uh, impacting OT or operational technology systems, control systems. Uh, what can be done, in your to your mind, to shift the focus to include OT security and resiliency programs and recognize these issues go beyond just an IT perspective and how do you elevate the importance of OT cybersecurity? Right. So first, you know, we need to identify and understand everything in which our mission or our business depends. We need to know what the most critical systems are and how are they connected and how does that allow us to keep and develop processes that will improve our cyber posture, uh, provide a transparent view of cyber risk and enable rapid deployment and updated capabilities. Again, know what and who is on your network. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and even if, you know, and and also understand the uh, partners that may have access to just get billing information or different types of processes. Understand who has permission uh, to get access to what, uh, even if it's uh, a, a fuel system. Uh, you still need to track who is uh, collecting that data. Uh, we need to regularly ask for all hazard threat briefs, including cyber, uh, to appreciate adversary capabilities and control systems and how they could pivot to other connected networks. Systems operators and engineers need to know what should be updated and when, often sooner than later. Sometimes solutions are even free. They just need to ask. And it's important to stay up to date on the latest policies and best practices. Uh, we've got a website that contains a myriad of resources, including other government and industry partners, to learn more about making your control systems resilient. And finally, routinely conducting rehearsals of the actions you will take in the event of a cyber exploiter attack. How prepared are you today? What will you do and who will you call? Now is the time to create an emergency management plan, crisis action team checklist, and practice them. When leadership recognizes the dependency and vulnerabilities, resources will flow. Well, actually, let's pick up on that, Daryl. I wonder if you could give some advice. What advice would you give to an, other organizations looking to either begin or further develop their own critical infrastructure cybersecurity programs? Begin protecting your critical infrastructure. You need to know what you have. First thing to do is identify what is most important to your organization by working with the key stakeholders. Then prioritize protecting these assets over the less critical ones. Determine what areas you want to plus up funding and personnel, pilot new technologies, etc. Hold organizations accountable through regular metrics reporting. Ensure to continuously broadcast your vision and make it easy for stakeholders to get the resources they need to be successful. There are so many excellent and free resources from training tools readily available now. And feel free to contact me. You know, uh, what are some of the roadblocks and impediments, Daryl, facing DOD or industry from an infrastructure protection standpoint? Yeah, understanding what OT or control systems truly are uh, lack of common understanding and a lack of effective collaboration across stakeholders. I, I, I'm in conversations routinely mm -hmm. to where they say, oh, Daryl, that control systems problem, yeah, that looks tough. Good luck with that. I don't have control systems. I have OT. Well, wait a second. Um, uh, and, and so we, we're, uh, we're challenged in some regard on making sure we have all the people focused on the right things and and reporting in the same way. Uh, another thing is we don't have a good place to test um, uh, industry capabilities, innovation. You know, we've got a small business, uh, uh, you know, in innovation and research program, but that process takes a very long time. Um, and it, I think we can do better in aligning those to our mission and objectives. But I would like to see is more of um, uh, like cyber ranges and in where industry and government can review different uh, products. Uh, and sharing threat intelligence is a longstanding issue from two views. Mm -hmm. Industry wants to maintain a competitive advantage and not provide its secret sauce to the government. And the government may know a vendor product is vulnerable and is being exploited. 
And knowing the right time to inform the vendor is tricky, as one may not want to stop the flow of intelligence or relay that the government is even aware of that. So those are some of the challenges uh, from the infrastructure protection standpoint. Yeah. So given your background and your current role, um, and I know this is kind of a long, long way out, but where do you see the government industry going in this field in the next five to 10 years? Well, for those playing bingo at home, you're going to hear it now, zero trust, right? So there's a lot of focus on uh, DOD and industry on the concept of zero trust. Uh, it is essentially the most basic concept is assuming that bad actors are already in and data is uh, new in the perimeter and don't inherently trust it. You need to verify it. Uh, this model is more uh, data-centric and emphasizes resiliency. Control system teams might transition some operational functions to cloud-based services. Industrial processes such as water treatment, electricity generation uh, may or may not follow this path, uh, but hardware virtualization, we believe organizations are increasing their flexibility in how they deploy the assets that manage that and control these processes. So many vendors offer capabilities to implement zero trust as well as artificial intelligence. It's pretty easy to monitor the thermostat temperature, right? That's not going to, that should not deviate too much. But the onus is on us to determine a fair way to evaluate those options in DOD representative OT environments. I think in the next several years, OT training will become more relevant as college and universities begin to include it and cross-train both. Optimally, we will share more threat and solution data amongst government and industry, and industry will continue to build security into their products from the beginning. What advice, Daryl, would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? So you are needed, and you can have an impact. You know, if you want to have the opportunity to legally uh, do some things in this space from a operation or defensive position, uh, especially on critical infrastructure, I think there are going to be great opportunities in this space. And, you know, from a public service, you know, not only Department of Defense, Homeland Security, Energy, State Department, there are all these agencies all have OT. And so if you're interested in, in being part of helping to defend those networks to ensure we're able to continue our missions, we'd love to have you. That's wonderful. Well, uh, Daryl, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join me today. But more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Well, I appreciate that and really appreciate the opportunity, Michael. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Daryl Hegley, Technical Director, Control Systems Cyber Resiliency at the U.S. Department of the Air Force. So be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at iTunes, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us.